From somewhere deep in the cloud and the corners of the earth, this is the Killing It Podcast with a focus on helping you make sense and dollars of all things IT with your hosts, Dave Sobel, Ryan Morris, and Carl Polichuk. Welcome to episode 177 of the Killing It Killing It podcast. I'm Carl, joined today by Dave and Ryan, as always, and now we're back in studio where, well, we're our, you know, three different studios. Well, exactly, our usual studio setup. So thank you all to, for indulging us last week on the on the live. We will uh, we will continue to iterate there. But gents, I want to have a little bit of fun. This one's a good question. Have you ever had a nemesis? Kind of. So I, I got to say, so I'm coming up to my... Um, uh, class reunion for college, and uh, I, when I was in high school, there was this one guy that he was a he was a friend of mine, but we absolutely competed on everything. And then you know, we, you know, ran for this, ran for that. He became class president. I did not. Then I go to to uh, college. He goes to the same college. He became class president. I did not. Right. So, but. 10 years ago, uh, we had a big class reunion, and everybody remembered me as the class president because I made all the shit happen. <laughs> and nobody remembered that he was the class president. <laughs> so. <laughs> See, that's the, that's the true grown-up lesson of the nemesis conversation. Years later, when you look back on it, nobody remembers those things. But in the moment you lived those things, I will honestly say my perspective is hopefully we can be healthy about the competition and not, uh, and not truly destructive. But if you don't have somebody that you are really competing against all the time, probably not doing it right. In elementary school, there were there were classroom nemesis people on in playing sports. Growing up, there was always that one guy on that one team that man, if I could shred his ACL, I would feel good about myself, right? Like you always have to have a healthy competition as a professional. I try to realize that even if I could win every opportunity I go after, I literally cannot get on enough airplanes or have enough consulting engagements to solve all of the world's problems. So when other people out there win, I try to be very magnanimous, but the competitive side in me still comes out and, and yeah, I do. I still, I currently feel like I have at least two or three nemeses. I, I definitely had one in high school. Definitely had one in high school. But by the way, entirely in my head. Like, entirely in my head. It was exactly that, like, competitive, like, going for the same position. I think that's true, and that's also true in business, to what Ryan was saying. Like, you think you have a competitor who's your nemesis? They don't even know you exist. They don't even know you exist. <laughs> I, and, I, and I'm like Ryan. I actually do – I am very, like, kind of metrics-driven on stuff, and so I actually do have in my head, like, pe- things – institutions, organizations, I feel like I am competing with. Uh, and so I am looking at, but, but now it's a much more healthy relationship with it versus like viewing them as my nemesis. So, <laughs> it's a little different now. <laughs> well, this week, 
Thanks to our friends at PCmatic, endpoint security built on a zero-trust default-deny foundation. Finally, a lightweight, simple-to-deploy, and easy-to-manage approach to application allow listing. The perfect complement to your current security stack. No minimums and no annual contracts. Find out more by visiting PCmatic.com MSP today. Alrighty, so topic number one today uh, isn't... The title of the topic is not the topic, but the title of the topic is Apple hires Lamborghini's chief of chassis development for its car team. Uh, but the real topic is, um, have we lost the distinction between industries, right? That like you got enough money to say, hey, you know what I ought to do? I ought to go build cars or I had to go build spaceships or, you know, whatever it is. There's certain thing that on one hand, these companies to have so much money that they can get into any area they want and they mix and match and do whatever they want. On the other hand, this isn't super new. General you know, Dynamics and General Electric were both those kind of monster companies. Um, so is this just like a, a newer, richer version of the same thing? Um, I don't know. It just, I guess, you know, when you live in it today, it seems a little bit like... Uh, it's not quite right, you know, but that may be a proximity error, you know what okay. I mean? Like, the, yeah, I have I have very distinct opinions here and I'm going to going to weigh in this. So I will weigh in first. Off. So, so in answer to your initial question, have we lost the distinction between industries? No, I do not think we have. I actually believe that they are distinct things. That said, there are transferable skills, particularly because of technology. And as user interface has become such a thing, if you are quite good at that, a realm where that skill is usable and relevant makes sense. The big thing about cars and the big thing about transportation is ultimately Apple needs a massive new market to feed its growth needs. I've said it a little bit before, but this is really worth highlighting. They are a massive thing. I mean, if we broke out AirPods into its own business, we just learned it, it is a Fortune 200 company on its own, right? It is just AirPods. So in order for them to launch something new, it has to be sizable for it to matter to them. So they can they need to move into new industries. Same reason why we're looking at like Amazon moving into healthcare, right? They have to they just need these massive industries, but they are still distinct. But I also want to highlight a little bit of the think the flaw of thinking around particularly General Electric because now as we've dug into some of the research, some of the numbers and what happened during that time, it's actually being discovered that that conglomeration was a bunch of accounting and back-end stuff that was not actually performing at the level we thought it was in the 80s and 90s during the consolidation, that now we are looking back, doing the business research on that and finding out, wait a second, this was a whole bunch of accounting garbage to trick the markets. And by the way, some of those, those companies are spinning back out because they're learning that by being smaller and divided in specialized industries, it matters. So it Carl, you're right to acknowledge that some of these big companies, they just need large industries. They are still distinct industries. And by the way, just big is not the key either. Well, and, and see, I will take, I'll take your business advice there and, and take it one step further. Um, there, this is a natural evolutionary phenomenon. Technology once was a distinct industry in the sense that 
We made products that were called technology. We sold those to technology buyers and they used them to perform technical functions. Today, we are an indispensable component of literally every industry. Cars is a great example. You don't have enough cars that are currently getting built and shipped into the world, not because they can't bend metal or build transmission boxes, but because there's just not enough supply chain of chips and boards in order to finish the functional capabilities of cars and ship these things out into the world. You cannot have today's car industry without technology. You cannot have our media and entertainment industry without essential components of technology. You cannot do education, you cannot do medicine, you cannot do insurance in any meaningful way unless they have integrated the essential capabilities of technology. Now, as IT people, we look at that and go, cool, IT is taking over the world. I, I want to be very cautious about this thing. It is not enough to say that we have some technology components, meaning that we actually know how to use technology effectively. And Dave, that goes right back to your General Electric uh, conversation. Just because they were in a business didn't mean they were good at it. And in fact, the last act of Jack Welch's career was to deliberately get the hell out of almost every industry that they were in because they applied the standard of if we can't be number one or number two in right. an industry, then we two. shouldn't be there. It's amazing how many industries they were in badly. And we don't want to see that kind of conglomeration happen to the brilliant innovations that are happening in technology. It's brilliant that Apple's going to get into cars. Cool. We think you might have something to add there. But if car companies think they are now technology companies, I would be willing to bet they are doing it poorly and they are not getting the real function of what tech could bring to their products. Specialization still matters. How, how does the small IT company make money off of this? Do they? Do they just say, look, uh, because the scraps that fall from these tables, you know, the, the, the people who have this much money, I could live off those scraps for a They're long pretty big. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so so, so my, my take on this is the you've got to keep an eye on the industries that you play in and make sure you are far enough ahead or delivering enough unique value to matter. I, I'll point out healthcare right now. For example, I look and say, if you're in healthcare IT, I actually do think you should be watching Amazon and you should be afraid because they are coming in to be incredibly disruptive and they're, they have the finances to do it, both the money on hand to spend on it, but also the ability to finance that industry, disrupting both healthcare and IT. I but, see. But a I have to say, so so if you when you say if you're in that, if you're in healthcare IT, uh, if you're competing against people or building databases uh, for for healthcare systems, that's one thing. If you're an IT consultant helping people implement this stuff, I wouldn't be afraid of Apple or Amazon. Uh, either one of them, I would look and say, what are they going to do? And how do they need an integrator to make it better? It, it's true. I just want I just want to be observant to the fact that there is possibility of them disrupting a lot because they also are quite good at fulfillment and customer service. And Carl, you're not wrong. I'm just saying that the, the, the 
tide may rise a lot more of what they're doing. And so it just feel it feels disruptive. And I w I'm just telling everyone to be aware that it will not be the same as typical integration in an IT, in, in IT well, for every and, other vendor. To your point, Carl, how does a small integrator adapt and make money in this environment? You must verticalize. If you are a component of every other industry, it's not enough anymore to just say, hey, I do IT, guys. Uh, let me know if you need some help. I must go to market by vertical, by healthcare, by, by manufacturing, by et cetera, et cetera. If you just sell IT, it's not good enough anymore. We're going to move on to our next topic here. And, and boy, this, this one ought to be a little bit of fun. It, ironically, it is a little bit still attached to our conversation about cars, but it's focused on the technology involved in self-driving automobiles. I don't know about you guys, I thought we were going to get to self-driving an awful lot faster than we are getting there, but we are making meaningful advancements here to the point that the researchers are learning lessons and the, the article that we're going to link to here in the show notes that I think is absolutely going to start some conversations in this world, it seems that according to the data, this is not based on my opinion, this is not based on anybody's opinion. According to statistics, women are better self-driving car pilots than men are. They react a little bit more quickly. They can interface between giving up control and retaking control a little bit more seamlessly. And it leads us to a world where the researchers are predicting that when we get to self-driving automobiles, we will need to have an interface that says, before you can drive, tell me your age, tell me your gender, tell me a little bit about you, and then I will adjust my self-driving autonomy capabilities to your abilities as a driver. Uh, the battle of the sexes is alive and well, and the technology is telling us that women are better drivers than men. Sirs, what do you have to say for yourselves? Well, on one hand, it's a little humorous, right? That, that basically, oh, oh yeah, I'm sorry, you're a male driver? Yeah, I'm going to have to be a little more attentive, give you more warnings. Right. You know, make sure you got plenty of time to react because you're not very good at this. Um, on the other hand, I think it's awesome that we are able to specialize so much because there may be other things that literally, based on your height, based on your weight, based on your ethnic background, and there's a lot of stuff that we like to say, oh, we don't talk about those things. We're like, yeah, but if it's actually relevant to your life and your safety, uh, maybe it makes a difference. So. Um, it's, it's an interesting thing. I, I love this topic simply because it gets us talking about things and assuming that this technology will, in fact, be ubiquitous at some point pretty soon. So I'm going to uh, so I'm going to first off, I have to make the, the quip of the women are better at this. Of course, they're better at this. They're better at lots of things. And I, <laughs> and I have learned this through my experiences in my happy marriage, that there are many things, many things my <laughs> wife is better at than I am. Now, what I, what I want to open space for on this is the, there's an, uh, an instant thought of the binary nature of the, well, women are better than men at this. Well, okay, that's statistics, right? And that is sample set, but also like this space, I'm gonna point out that is a spectrum. 
right? That will be a, an individual person will fall on the spectrum in a different place than a sample set of the entire bit trying to put it into two buckets. This is also one data point on several <laughs> that will, will factor into that. I'm confident age matters too. I have not done the research, but I'm confident age is one of those criteria that will matter, right? And so, so there are a number of these. Do Am I comfortable with the fact that we will have computers make analysis of the state of the individual driver based on multiple inputs? Yes. What I'm concerned about is, is people leaping to an immediate assumption based on a single binary of the two saying, well, okay, you know, now automatically you're in these two buckets. I want to leave nuanced space for understanding that this is a spectrum like all things, I'm comfortable with that. That's how data works, everybody. <laughs> and so, you know, not all men are the same, not all women are the same. However, that can also be a data point on analysis of the entire set of inputs from the driver. See, and I think you are right on target there. There is a very broad spectrum of driving capabilities that are interestingly and statistically correlated with your age, with your gender, with et cetera. But it comes down to the individual. And if you could honestly give me a car that would accommodate who I am and whether or not I am paying attention, whether or not I am good at this, whether or not I can be trusted to operate this machinery, not only would that make the roads more safe, it would make the driving experience more interesting and enjoyable for you and me and everybody else. Right now, we build cars as very powerful, capable machines. And then if you've got the financial wherewithal to do so, we'll sell it to literally anyone, whether or not they are, they are qualified. Now, I will, I will say, I learned this lesson the hard way as a 15-year-old boy when I was going through driver's ed and getting my driver's license, and they told me, because you are a boy, you will pay higher insurance rates because of this thing called an actuarial table where we have statistical proof that is forecastable into the future that you're going to be worse at this than a 16-year-old girl. Boy, I thought that was horrible. I thought that was offensive. And then I drove around in cars with 16-year-old boys and I was like, oh yeah, you're right. We're impulsive. We're aggressive. We don't always pay attention and we like to go fast. Well, guess what? That costs more. But that was a very, very, like, inefficient and broad bucketing that we used. If the software in a self-driving machine could get us to the point where they know, hey, by the way, I know you just bought that Dodge Hellcat 800 horsepower car, and you are not qualified to drive this thing with its full capabilities, so I'm gonna limit the capabilities of the system based on the operator, that's awesome advancement for the automobile industry as well as for all of those of us who have to drive next to those of you who are not qualified to operate. Two quick machine. points. One is that I think that this, this data and similar data, because there's similar data about uh, controlling drones, that women are better at, at that as well. Uh, I think that this needs to work its way into the pay scale based on ability, not uh, because you're at the, a certain rank or whatever. But the other thing is, that um, you know, a lot of countries have different levels of driver's licenses. Like, oh, if you were born after 19 whatever 87, uh, these laws changed, and you can only 
drive this kind of vehicle versus that kind of vehicle, right? Uh, have passengers, not have passengers, whatever. Um, and then a lot of them, if like in England, if you're if you're born before like 1960, you can drive anything. It's like, okay, wait a minute, it should be the opposite of that, right? <laughs> so it would be nice to have a system that you get in and you, you know, whatever. Maybe you lick the steering wheel and it says, oh, for so you're a 74 year old male with da 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 and these diseases and whatever. We're going to limit the ability of the car based on your health and what we know about you. Uh, and maybe that goes back to the Apple Watch or whatever Dave was talking about. The other thing that I think is important, and I'm going to highlight, Scott Galloway said this at, at, at ChannelCon last week in his keynote, and he's not wrong. Biology is a factor. You need to be careful to make sure that you're not discriminating based on that or making decisions. But, but at the same time, there are biological differences in people gender being one of those criteria for understanding that and design impact makes a difference on that. For example, and I'll just use the highlight while we're talking about cars, uh, women are generally, you know, shorter with a different build than men, but oftentimes the safety systems are tested on dummies that are only built to, for the average male, not the average female, meaning that a vehicle can be less safe for a woman because they have not done the testing based on the different, the differences there. That is one of thousands of data points I could pull on the way that this bias works its way into the system. You do need to build systems that uh, that compensate and and handle all of the various inputs of which it is okay to acknowledge that gender is one of them. It's how you handle that data that's the important takeaway. Absolutely. And again, this is not something that is an individual insult to you and your driving capabilities. This is an advancement and a customization of the technology that will make us all better quote unquote drivers. Yep. All right, I'm going to take us into number three, which is a fun use of words. This is a Tech Republic article with just the catnip headline. Vendors keep misusing the cloud native label. Customers may not care. We keep applying cloud native to things like Kubernetes that are expressly not native to the cloud. Does it matter? And, and this is what I got. Jens, I, it almost is a t it writes itself when you put it this way together. It says, okay. <laughs> Does the use of a label like cloud native matter? I have to say, so this, I, I have this throwback to literally 1994, having a conversation with somebody who says, hey, you know what, I was literally, I was playing golf with somebody. His company has the internet. You need to get this, the internet for us. I was like, well, you don't even know what it is. Like, you couldn't describe it at, for, at any level, no matter what. And so there's always been this like, oh, things have to be fully buzzword compliant. Well, the buzzword now is cloud native. I don't think cloud has ever made sense to clients. They don't, they, it's not their job. There's no reason they should know it, right? And so I've, I've never used that terminology with clients because they need to know, hey, you know what? We used to have this in on site. Now it's going to be somewhere up there. And I literally use those terms. It's going to be somewhere up there, and you don't know and you don't care because it's going to be more reliable and it's going to be better. Da 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 da. And and so, I think this, again, Dave said it. This story writes itself. The uh, we love to talk to each other with this crap, right? And there's, I don't think you could go a day without a new buzzword if you read all the journals, 
right? You may only become aware of 50 of them in a year, but there's one a day. Absolutely, there are buzzwords. And, and see, I will say, as a technologist, I believe that the distinctions do matter. And I have tilted at many windmills in my career saying, but you're using the terminology incorrectly and that has architectural implications. This is not just like this. There are things about cloud native services that are engineering wise more efficient, more effective. They utilize underlying infrastructure in a more economical way. So it is absolutely an architectural difference that engineers care about. But I'm also a marketer and I've spent many, many years admitting that, you know what, terminology is only what the customer thinks that it means, not what it actually describes. And we get away with broad abuses of technical terminology every single day. It depends on who your audience is. If you're talking to the CIO and they are making investment level decisions about whether or not they need to upgrade infrastructure on premises because this is a cloud native versus a not cloud native uh, system, that has real implications and you might get yourself in trouble by misusing the terminology. But if you're talking to the CEO and all they need to do is get the internet to borrow Carl's experience, does it matter? No, that person wouldn't understand it even if you did use it accurately. My, my point is, I just have to get over some of the instant like fingernails on a chalkboard reaction that I have when people misuse some of this terminology. Uh, I swear the worst offender in the last couple of generations has actually been in the wireless industry where they've said it was 4G and then they said it was 5G and then they said it was 5G plus and it's not actually plus anything other than they just wanted to charge a little bit and more. Everything for became a little differently. SD-WAN. Exactly. Even if it wasn't right? SD-WAN. <laughs> this, this is not a new phenomenon for us in this industry. We lie a lot about terminology. And to your point, Dave, eventually it really doesn't make any difference to the customer. It only makes a difference to the guy who actually has to build the system to go back in and go, yada, yada, yada. Thanks for the buzzwords. This is what it actually right. does. And, it, and you, you, you said what, where my head goes on this is, okay, it does not matter from a sales perspective what you call it. What, there are two ways that it does matter. The first way that it does matter is in the architectural designs to make sure that it actually does do this thing it says it's going to do in a way that's, that leads based on the implication of the word. So, for example, if you're a designer and cloud native you know, has implications of the way the, the application will behave, that's super important, which actually links to the second reason that it, it can be important is it is important if the implications of the word imply requirements or expectations on the customer's behalf that you then have to deliver on. So for example, I might might make a I think I would make a pretty solid argument that cloud native must mean the ability to sort of scale dynamically as needed. That is an implication based on the word, based on what we've come to understand it, even in marketing terms. And so if your thing does not do that, yet you claim it is cloud native, you have a problem because you are missetting the miss, missetting expectations. However, if you don't necessarily if you say it, and it does do that, but it doesn't necessarily do it in the technical definition. 
if the if the customer still gets the benefit that they were promised, I'm okay with things. Where I will point to is is that there's a danger zone here of where customer expectations do not meet delivered technical solution. That's the area to worry well, on the use. And, and that's actually related to what's going on with MSPs being sued for making promises that they don't keep, right? And I think that, you know, this is one of those things where, you know, if you're going to use the term, define what you mean when you use it, and then demonstrate that you are doing what you say that you're doing. Um, and it's sort of like, <clears throat> I say I'm going to manage your computers. That doesn't re include backup unless you've paid for backup, right? So I'll do patches, right. fixes, and updates, right? So don't just assume that it includes backup if I haven't uh, charged you for the backup, right? But, you know... I could see people suing companies and saying, well, well, you said it was all cloud and then, or cloud native, but there's all this other stuff where you send it down to one single server in the center of the universe. Uh, it's not in the cloud. It's, it's, it's right over there. I can touch it. Like, yeah, yeah, it's right there. <laughs> right. And, and to your point, Dave, uh, if it has expectations associated with it that Im impact my budget and or my operational capabilities, somebody is going to sue you for that misrepresentation. In my oversimplified understanding of things, right, Carl's definition of the cloud is it's somewhere up there and you don't care. Uh, Dave, your definition of cloud native is it has uh, like flexible scalability. My super simplified marketing guy definition of cloud native is it does not depend on on-premises resources for its performance capacity. But, but again, what, and I know you mean this, it doesn't depend on client on-premises. It's on somebody's premise. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Right. That's. That's the clarification that matters. The client does not need to maintain on-premises architecture. And by the way, guys, just to d take it one step further, I am very carefully using the terminology right there, on-premises, because <laughs> that is a grammatical hill that I will die on. On-premise is a, is a rhetorical observation, whether or not we are talking about the same topic, but on-premises is a location and real estate thing. If you say, I don't require any on-premise technology, well, you're not saying what you think you're saying. Please add the final S there. That is grammatically correct. And I'll, I'll just tell you, as a father, pick, pick your fights. Sadly, <laughs> that will do it for episode 177 of the Killing It Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Killing It Podcast. Please share with your friends and tell everyone to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and all the podcast places. Join us next week and help us keep killing it in the technology business.